Genesis chapter 26 is our sermon text this evening. Genesis 26, reading the whole chapter. This is the word of God. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahazah, one of his friends, and 
uh, Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, Basimoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. And our New Testament reading is Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the same out, the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Let's pray together now as we come to the word of God. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word, this precious word, this true word, this life-giving word. We pray now that you would... Um, Open up our hearts to receive it. Shine the light of your word into our hearts to give us the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, what would you say is the best promise in the Bible? So many good promises in the scriptures, right? What would you say is the best promise of all of them? Uh, the sweetest, the, the most mind-blowing promise that God gives. I would argue that it's his promise of himself. His promise to be with his people. His promise to be their God. And this is at the heart of his relationship with us. You see it all over the scriptures. This wonderful promise of God that he himself will be with his, with his people. We see it twice here in Genesis 26. God promises Isaac his own presence with him. He says... I will be with you in, in, in verse 3. And then in verse uh, 24, he says, I am with you. This is the greatest gift God can give. To say to somebody, I am with you. I will be with you. Is the greatest and best gift that God can give us. What, what more could he give? 
What would be greater than Himself? This is what He made us for, for this, this, this relationship with Him, this covenant fellowship with Him. Uh, this is what we have been saved for. This is, this is what the blood of Christ has paid for, this relationship between us and our God. This is our chief end, isn't it? To have this close relationship with Him, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. It's a precious thing to come to see this. Um, to, to, to know that, that you, you have Him, you belong to Him, that He is yours, that you are His. It's precious to taste that and, 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 enjoy, and enjoy that. But it's not just a precious thing for us. It's also wonderfully freeing for us to understand that He's given us Himself to be with us. Um, it's wonderfully freeing. In particular, as we look at Genesis 26, we see that it's wonderfully freeing from fear. From the fear of circumstances, the fear of man, all, all sorts of fear, that to know God Himself is yours and He's with you is wonderfully freeing in these things. We see Isaac, his life in Genesis 26 is constantly being, being he, he's dogged by fear. It's all around him. He goes from situation to situation, three different circumstances in the chapter which seem to threaten him. And in each situation, the temptation is to respond in fear, not in faith. But the promise of God to him from the front of the chapter to the end of the chapter is, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Um, loved ones, our, 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 our lives are so much like what we read in Scripture of the, the lives of the saints, aren't they? Um, we go from circumstance to circumstance. It might be a little thing. might be a big thing. We're, we're threatened to respond. Or we're tempted to respond with, with fear. We're tempted to forget that God is with us and, and how wonderful it is that he's with us. And to respond, um, respond in fear rather than in faith. The only effective antidote to fear and anxiety is to know the presence of God with you. That even as you face difficulty, even when you fall into sin, and even when you are surrounded by opposition, um, in Christ, God is with you. He's with you. I want to unpack this together. Uh, using three headings tonight as we look through the, t- the chapter here. The first one is this, a familiar hardship. A familiar hardship. Verses 1 through 5. Um, Genesis 26 opens up uh, with, with famine uh, hitting the promised land. Uh, there, there had been a famine, and the text mentions this. There was a famine back in Abraham's day as well um, when he was in the promised land back in Genesis chapter 12. But now um, it's Isaac's turn, and here comes the famine again. Uh, um, according to the Lord's uh, providence. Um, it's hard, I think, for us. We, we live in a part of the world. We don't really get famines. But as I was thinking, well, what's the closest thing I've experienced to, to going through this? I, I thought of the early days of the COVID lockdowns. We were still in Philadelphia at the time. I remember we were watching, you know, we were glued to the news about, if, oh, there's a case here, there's a case here, there's a case here. Things are shutting down. Um, and so uh, finally, everything seemed to be just, Breaking loose. So, so Eva said, you, we better get to the grocery store. So I went to the, the local grocery store. Um, it had been mobbed. There was nothing on the shelves. It was all completely bare. Maybe a, a scrap here or there. Right. It, that's the closest picture I can get to, 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 to what a famine would be like in, in the ancient world. Uh, except that it didn't just last for a few days or, or, or a few weeks uh, or, or one bumpy year. Uh, but... You know, it, it could last for a long time, um, not, not having the things that you need and not having anywhere to, to go to find them. Um, 
Isaac has, Isaac's got herds and flocks to feed. He's got, he's got uh, uh, a household to take care of. Uh, he's got servants to care for. Um, famine comes, he needs food, he needs water, he doesn't have a way to get them. And, and so when these basic needs aren't being met, right, the temptation is fear, isn't it? Um, of, course, of course we're going to get worried. If we're going hungry, we're going thirsty. Um, and if those we love are going hungry. Um, so this is a severe hardship. It's not just a, a light thing. He's facing a famine. It's a hardship for him, and it's beyond his ability to, con- to control it. And the instinct there, as we see situations around us, beyond our ability to control, uh, fear-inducing things. Um, and they're all over the news. The temptation is anxiety and fear rather than faith. Um, as we look at Isaac here in the text, we're not told explicitly, is he being faithful? Is he being fearful? Which is it as, as we look, as he faces this famine? But I think the text is, is pretty strongly hinting that he, at least in part, is being tempted to respond in fear here. Um, he, he travels down to where Abimelech is in Gerar. Abimelech's king of this little region of Gerar here in the Promised Land. Uh, he had known Abraham. Abraham had known him. There's a history there. Um, but but th- this is part of the region. It's, 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 it's towards the south of the Promised Land, and it's possibly en route to, to Egypt. Um, and then the Lord comes to Isaac and tells him, don't go down to Egypt. Which makes me think that, that this is perhaps on Abraham's mind. Well, maybe I'll, I'll start moving that direction because perhaps the famine's not down there. That, that um, this is exactly what Abraham did in Genesis 12 when he experienced famine. Well, let, let, the promised land isn't working out. Let's go somewhere else, down to Egypt. And it seems like Isaac is perhaps toying with this same idea. Um, looking to Egypt for help in a time of crisis is a, is a theme in, in, in the Old Testament. Um, as you look through the prophets, uh, in particular, later on in Israel's history, uh, they're going uh, to be facing com- invasions from, from, from uh, nations around them, and, and, and frequently they're going to look to Egypt, try to find help from, from Egypt. Um, and, it, and it symbolizes a lack of trust in the Lord. We read about this in Jeremiah 42. Um, uh, we, we, we read, Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. So Egypt represented uh, worldly power, represented uh, what God had brought his people out of. And um, uh, to, to want to go back there is to say, well, let's go back to the, following God isn't working out. Let's go back to the old sinful way uh, of living and doing things. Let's go back to Egypt's way. Now, at this point where we are in Scripture, the Exodus hasn't happened. They haven't been brought out of Egypt yet. So, but, but, but think about the audience. Moses is, is writing the, the Pentateuch. Um, he's writing it for Israel as they come out of Egypt. And so it's important for him as he puts this in under the inspiration of the Spirit to tell the people, right, that warning about the desire to return to Egypt. The lesson, loved ones, that the text here is teaching us, I think, is that when hardship comes, we should not trust worldly wisdom and strength and the resources that this world offers, but we should trust the Lord. 
that we shouldn't give up on following the Lord just because things are getting hard. Give up on the covenant with Him and, and, and go to live the world's way. Um, but we should stay the course. Trust Him. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for hardship. Um, uh, when a famine comes again in Genesis, in the life of Joseph, God's actually going to send his people to Egypt to get food. He will. He'll, he'll command them to go down there. Um, uh, so so we, should, we should act with, with wisdom. Uh, we should act uh, to, to see what's coming, get ready for what's coming, make sure we're providing for ourselves and, and having enough to help provide for others. The Scriptures encourage this kind of wisdom. It's all over the book of Proverbs. Go see the ant. See how she works all day. All right, that's, our, that's our model. We're supposed to work hard and prepare for the, prepare for the future. It's not a failure to trust. To, 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 to save up, to stock up, those are fine things. Um, but the temptation is that becomes your idol. That becomes, that becomes what keeps your heart steady. Um, when, when trial or difficulty comes rather than the Lord and, and that, uh, that, that, that it's those, those other things that you've done that are become the source of your confidence and your trust rather than the Lord and His provision for you. The Lord calls us in hardship. Yes, use wisdom. Uh, yes, take care of yourself and your needs, but keep on trusting me. Trust me to meet those needs. Trust me to provide for those things. Um, so he, he tells Isaac to do something hard. You're in famine, but don't go down to Egypt. Wait on me. Stay here and wait. Um, it's hard to obey in that situation, but it's when it's hardest to obey that it's most vital to. Um, and this is what the Lord is calling us to. So the Lord, the, Lord, um, the Lord calls Isaac to this obedience, this hard obedience, even in this difficult situation, even as he calls us to obedience in difficult situations. Um, but then he comes with a gracious word. In verses 3 to 5, he comes to Isaac and he repeats to Isaac the promises he gave to Abraham. So here Isaac is. He's in this situation of famine and need and difficulty. And the Lord comes with a promise. He comes with those same promises that he gave Abraham, but he amplifies them uh, uh, and, and he gives them to Isaac specifically. Um, the promise has, has three parts. It's, it's the, the first part is the land, just like the promise to Abraham. This, this promise of, of land, of this place where God will be with his people. It's not just a promise of a plot of real estate, uh, but it's a promise that God is going to have a place where he and his people dwell together. A holy land, uh, a new Eden. Um, it's pointing forward to the heavenly one. The second promise is, is that, that God, God promises him he'll make him a great nation. Verse 4a says he'll make his descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And this is a promise of a new humanity, right? Again, think of, think of uh, early in Genesis. God is creating Adam and Eve, made in his image to be this, 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 uh, this humanity that reflects his glory and worships him and praises him. Um, Adam and Eve fall into sin, but God doesn't give up on that. Right? He's, he's going to get a new humanity, a redeemed humanity that, that multiplies in this great nation of those who reflect His image and His righteousness and His holiness and bring, bring glory to Him. And then the third promise is that Isaac's offspring will be a blessing to the whole earth. That, that Isaac's descendants, and in particular one of his descendants, is going to bring blessing on the whole world. 
These are the, these are the promises. These are the blessings. But all of it is, is summed up and wrapped up in that first word the Lord speaks to Isaac. It'll be in the verse 3. I will be with you and bless you. He's, he's, he's speaking to him in the midst of this difficulty, this famine. He's, he's, Hold on to this, Isaac. I will be with you and bless you. So the sum of all these blessings, what it's all about is this, this, this blessing of God himself being present with him. God is saying to Isaac, I know there's a famine, but remember my promise to you. I will be with you to bless you. I will satisfy you. I will provide for you. I will be with you. He gives him his oath on it. He promises this to him, um, that, it, that it's guaranteed by his word. Um, brothers and sisters, the, 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 the promise that the Lord gives Isaac here is substantially no different from his word to us. Um, he gives us the same promise, doesn't he? That, he? that that he is our God, that he's with us, he's present with us, um, that, that he's given us these glorious blessings of, of this land, right? The new heavens and new earth of the people, the church, this redeemed new humanity uh, of the one who will be a blessing, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who's come, um, that, that, he, that he's remaking this wonderful new creation where God himself will be with us. This is the great promise to Isaac. It's the great promise to us, to you and I as well. Um, God himself with us. Is that why you love the gospel? Because it gives you God himself. Jonathan Edwards reminds us of the matchless blessing of having God himself. He writes this. Jonathan Edwards, the uh, great... uh, great preacher of uh, 18th century New England. He says this, the redeemed have all their objective good in God. God himself is the great good which they are brought to the possession and enjoyment of by redemption. He is the highest good and the sum of all that good which Christ purchased. God is the inheritance of the saints. He is the portion of their souls. God is their wealth and treasure, their food, their life, their dwelling place, their ornament and diadem, and their everlasting honor and glory. Our confession says he is our blessedness and reward. God himself. And he's with us. This is his promise to us in our difficulties. That he himself is with us in all of them. Our portion forever. This is what we see first. This familiar hardship, but also a familiar blessing uh, and the presence of God with us. The second thing we see in the text, um, the next difficulty, is a a familiar sin. This is verses 6 through 11, a familiar sin. Um, Isaac obeys the Lord. He doesn't go down to Egypt. Uh, He stays in the region of Abimelech. Doesn't give in to fear because of the famine. He knows God is with him. He hears that word. He trusts it. But then, in this this part of uh, the the promised land where he is, uh, down down in Abimelech's area, um, he falls into fear nonetheless, a different a different fear. It's a familiar sin, isn't it? Uh, we, we've seen this before. We've seen it twice before in the life of his father, uh, Abraham. He, he, uh, he's afraid because his wife is so beautiful that, that someone's going to see his wife and say, well, she is beautiful. Isaac's in the way. I'm going to kill him and get his wife. Um, this, is, this is his fear. Um, 
He's, he, he, this is all he can think of. This is the same thing that Abraham succumbed to, this uh, fear of, uh, of, of losing his own life um, uh, because of his wife's beauty. Uh, this led Abraham to tell a lie twice, saying that his wife was a sister, and now, like father, like son, here goes Isaac doing the exact same thing. It's almost comical, isn't it? This is the third time we've read of this exact situation uh, happening in, in Genesis. Um, uh, I, Isaac, Isaac, don't you know how this worked out with your father? You should not do this. The Lord is with you. Don't fear. Um, but this is how the patterns of sin work, isn't it? Um, the sins of the fathers often become the sins of the children. The bad habits of the Mom and dad often become the bad habits of the boy and girl. Um, that uh, There's this warning here, I think, implicitly in the text, to, to Christian parents especially. Um, watch your conduct. You're, it's not just about you and your relationship with the Lord. It's also you and your children's relationship with the Lord. And the, the, the way that, that, you, that, that you live in difficult circumstances, the way you respond to fear, uh, the, the way the way um, the way you live, the way you're modeling trust or modeling self-reliance, that's gonna that's gonna be how your children are are going to grow up mo- often uh, to live as well. It's an encouragement to parents to to live holy and godly lives, um, so that their children have a model to follow. Um, it, it's also a warning to children, I think, especially grown children, um, not to just oh, do this because it's what my dad did. Right, um, but to think carefully, think critically. Honor your parents, of course. Uh, be respectful. Be patient with their failures. Understanding uh, of, of what it was like for them and, and, and their, their difficulties that they faced. But don't be blind to their sin. Um, be aware of it, and be aware of the way those patterns get under your own consciousness, even and, and affect the way you live, um, so that you don't end up repeating their same mistakes. What's, what's driving the sin here uh, for, for Isaac? Well, it's the same thing it was for Abraham. It's the fear of man. The Lord has just revealed himself to him. The Lord has just made these glorious promises to him. Um, the Lord has just said, I'm with you. And he should know that when Abraham was in this situation, the Lord rescued him. But here he goes. Uh, he's, all, all of this just flies out the window when he sees other people. He gets scared of other people. Of other people, we are we are uh, so quick like this to be motivated by fear of what other people might do to us, fear of how they're going to think of me or what they're going to say about me behind my back, fear of what they could, you know, the, the pain that other people could cause me, and we're we're also quick on the flip side to to have a really high estimation of the good they can do for us, right? Other people, we we think they can curse us, we think they can bless us. That they can give us uh, wonderful, wonderful things that, that, that it's worth doing things just to please them, or we're terrified of disappointing them. Uh, and this drives us to forget God altogether and live without reference to Him, as Isaac does here. But even though Isaac has fallen into this fear again, as we also do, the wonderful thing, as we read on the text, is that the Lord's promise to Isaac still stands. He made the promise back, right, in verses 3 to 5, that he's going to be with him and bless him. Um, now Isaac has botched it. 
He's, he's, he's run into sin. He's been fearful. He's, he's put himself in first. He's put his wife last. He's forgotten the Lord. He's told a lie. Uh, he's failed miserably. Uh, and he should have known better. But the Lord doesn't say, well, it's, it's over. Uh, the Lord goes on and blesses him. The Lord gets him out of his predicament. Uh, the, the Lord comes providentially. He has Abimelech here happen to look through the window at the, uh, just the right time, see something going on, says, she's obviously your wife. Um, and Isaac confesses there to that, the, the, the lie that he's told. And, and then rather than, than, than punishing Isaac um, and Rebekah, the Lord, the Lord has Abimelech protect them, both of them, um, so that, that we see this familiar sin in Isaac, right? Repeating what his dad did. Um, but, but we also see this, this familiar grace of God reaching out to his people, even in their sin and their failures and their mistakes, saving them from the, that sin, um, sometimes even from the consequences of that sin, too. As happens here, the Lord has promised to be with him, and the Lord is with him, even here in this. In his failure, he's with him, showing him grace. And so, yes, there's a warning here in Isaac, right? Watch out for this sin. Watch out for the generational patterns of sin. Be on guard against those things. Don't fall into the trap of the fear of man. Um, But at the same time, there's this precious hope that, that God does not abandon us in our sin. His covenant with us, his promises to us, don't depend on us. Depends on His grace. Depends on our Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator. And so we can rest on Him. Even if we have fallen into the same sin that we have did before, even if it's the same one our parents and our grandparents did before, His grace is still sufficient to find us out and to bring us, to bring us out of that. And the third thing, the third thing we see in the text is a familiar conflict. A familiar Conflict verses twelve through thirty-three. Um, we've seen God with His people, with us in difficulty. We've seen Him with us in even our sin and failure. Finally, we see Him here, God, God with us in the midst of conflict or the midst of opposition. Um, in, in, the, in the text here, as we're reading along, uh, Isaac is in the land of Gerar among the Philistine neighbors. And he's receiving blessing from the Lord. The famine is done. Uh, he, he's sowing uh, his crops, and he's getting back a hundredfold. It's a huge crop for him. That's, that's, that is the, the top crop anyone could ever expect in this part of the world. Hundredfold. It's, it's a mind-blowing uh, 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 harvest that he's getting. Um, no one else around is getting this crop. Right? He, he, he's exceptionally successful. Um, his, his livestock are, 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 are fruitful and, and, and they're healthy and, and they're growing more numerous. His, his wealth is multiplying exponentially. He's getting more servants. The, the, the text tells us the Lord prospered him so richly, so greatly. So you can anticipate what's going to happen if, if uh, the one house on the block Right, right, it's just getting all the blessings. Everything seems to be going perfect for that one, right? And everyone around is going to be jealous and envious. And this is what this is what happens here. The, the Philistine neighbors start to get jealous of him, and uh, they start to quarrel with him. And um, and they are they are uh, Abimelech eventually asks asks him to to leave, and and Isaac goes and. Um, uh, but the conflict continues. Herdsmen around the area are, are, are uh, filling in the wells that he's digging. 
It happens once, happens again. They, they, they keep fighting over the wells. They're, they're filling in the wells that his father dug, and now they're, now they're quarreling over these new wells that, that he's digging. They're trying to claim these wells for themselves. But how does Isaac respond now? Start fighting back? That's my well. well no, he doesn't. Um, he says, All right, I'll go on. He responds meekly. Um, we read earlier, Psalm 37, the meek will inherit the land. He doesn't grasp at what is his. He's waiting patiently on the Lord to fulfill his promise and his time. He comes, he digs a third well. This one he's able to keep. No one quarrels over it. The Lord provides water for him there. And then he travels on to, to Beersheba uh, in, in, in the land of Canaan. Um, this is a place, remember, where Abraham had a well and a conflict over a well. And Abimelech, king of the Philistine, made a treaty with, with Abraham at this place in Beersheba. Um, and it's sworn an oath to him that this would be Abraham's well forever. And now Isaac comes to this place with this history. Um, and that very night, God comes to him. And once again, gives him this great promise. Verse 24, he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So, again, the situation is a difficult one, a fear-inducing one, we think. There's conflict. There's opposition. There, there, there doesn't seem to people are pushing him away, pushing him away, uh, taking, taking his wells. Um, but, uh, but the Lord comes. And the Lord comes, and in the midst of this conflict and opposition and enmity and hatred from, from the world, the Lord comes and says, I'm with you again. And he blesses him. The Lord calls attention to a couple things here. He, he reminds Isaac, first of all, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. And it's a reminder of God's past faithfulness. All the things God did for Abraham, the way he promised so much, the way he fulfilled so much, um, Isaac himself really is a is a living and breathing reminder of God's faithfulness, isn't he? Um, uh, he himself is the fulfillment of promise. He's also he's remind as he says, "I'm the God of Abraham." To Isaac, he's reminding him of his of his closeness with him. Um, that that this God is not distant. This is not a, a lofty, high name for God. This is this is a this is a close and familial name, right? The God of your father. Yes, the God of the universe, also the God of your father, the God of your house, showing his closeness with him. And then he says to Isaac, not, not, not to fear, because, because he says, I am with you. Don't, don't, don't fear the, the enemies around you who are fighting you for these wells, who are pushing you away. Uh, don't, don't fear their hatred. Don't fear man as you did before. No, trust that I am, I am with you. And I will... I will bless you. And no sooner has God said it, the very next thing that happens, Abimelech comes and he says, let's, let's make a treaty that you can use these. Uh, let's, have, let's, let's have peace. Uh, let's have peace here. Isaac waited on the Lord and the Lord worked in his time and in his way. So the chapter that began with famine ends with fresh, full wells, with plenty and abundance and, and the riches that God has promise and the conflict is giving way to peace because God is because God is is with him this is the reason for all the blessing on Isaac even in the midst of his sin and failure in this chapter this is what makes all the difference it's the presence of God with him 
turning difficulty into blessing, turning sin into repentance, uh, turning conflict into peace. That's what the presence of God does. Um, So in in light of the text, loved ones, as we conclude, the all-important question is, is God with me? Is He with me? Is is He present with me? Is He close with me to bless me? It could be easy to look at Isaac and say, "I, I, I wish I had what he had. A vision in the night. God comes and says, I'm with you to bless you. Now, that'd be precious, wouldn't it? Um, But we have Emmanuel, which is so much better. God with us, right? The name that, uh, that is given to our Lord Jesus. You call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God come in the flesh to be with us as ours, uh, as our God forever. Um, this is the great fruition of the promise that God gives. I'll be with you. It comes to fruition in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, is, he is God with us. He comes and he uh, delivers us from our sin and he brings us into fellowship with God and our Lord Jesus Christ gives us this glorious promise in Matthew 28, verse 20. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have him with us still. He's, he's with you by his spirit if you're trusting in him. He, he will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, he has not abandoned us. We are not orphaned. Uh, he, he is with us. It's a precious truth, loved ones. In every difficulty, even in your sin and failure, if you're trusting in Christ, He's with you. When you you do fall into fear, He's with you. How precious that is. How how freeing that is. You don't need to fear. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, He's with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your great and precious promises, especially the promise that you yourself are ours and that you are with us. Father, we pray that that your presence, the reality of your presence, would be more real to us, more precious to us than, than the presence of any other, that we would be freed by it to live for you in faith all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.